There are locations that have witnessed so much horror, pain, and death that they remain stained forever. That is the case of today's story, so take a deep breath. This is Spooky Horror. What you're about to listen goes beyond imagination and logic. From the thing in the U-bed to the shadows lurking around it. This is a world melted beneath us, watching you hiding under your sheets, waiting. This is spooky horror. Hey, it's been a while. I'm your host, Santiago, currently recording in the middle of the night, because apparently I never learn. No joke, though. Uh, last time, creeping the hell out. In case you did not listen or didn't finish the episode, a lot happened. The topic was scary enough, but then a few strange noises started popping in the microphone. I started seeing repeated movement on the living room beside where I was recording with the lights on and there was a weird vibe during the whole time um but the end got worse uh i would like to apologize i realized i did not edit anything out and i truly didn't feel like listening to it again and i also know that i rushed it to the ending but again i was trying to wrap it up uh to get out of here basically and i hope nothing happens anymore though uh because i did get a few experiences the week after the episode this episode has no entity that shouldn't be talked about named or be seen which is good um it does get creepy though let's let's just see how it goes like i said in the beginning most haunted places start with a regular location but then experience so much suffering and death that it becomes impregnated with those vibes and it calls not just for human spirits but for darker forces uh today's topic is the waverly hills sanatorium in louisville jefferson county kentucky and yeah it gets intense as usual it's reportedly one of the most haunted locations on earth and it also has one of the most infamous supernatural entities, which we will talk about uh, later. But a lot of years prior, it was just a piece of land. This land was originally purchased by Major Thomas Hayes in 1883 uh, to start a one-room schoolhouse for her daughters to attend. He hired a teacher named Lizzie Lee Harris, and her love for the school, plus her fondness for Scott's Waverly novels, uh, prompted her to name the little schoolhouse Waverly School. Major Hayes liked the name, so he chose to name the whole property Waver Waverly Hill. Um, but then, in the 1800s and early 1900s, the U.S. got ravaged by an outbreak of tuberculosis, also known as the White Plague a terrifying and very contagious plague for which no cure existed. It took entire families and sometimes entire towns. By 1900, Louisville, Kentucky had the highest tuberculosis death rate in America. That led for the construction of a two-story hospital to accommodate up to 500 patients. 
People who were afflicted with tuberculosis were isolated from the general public and placed in an area where they could rest peacefully and have plenty of fresh air. Sanatoriums were built on high hills surrounded by peaceful woods to create a serene atmosphere to help the patients recover. So, they chose Waverly Hill to build it and the Board of Tuberculosis Hospital kept the name that Major Hayes had chosen. Hence, opening in 1910 as the Waverly Hill Sanatorium. Waverly Hill was a self-contained community. It had its own post office, water treatment facility, grew its own fruits and vegetables, raised its own meat for slaughter, and maintained many other necessities of everyday life. Every nurse, doctor, and employee at Waverly Hills had to say goodbye to everything they knew on the outside world. Once you arrived there, you became a permanent resident on the hill. It was a massive gothic-style sanatorium that remains standing on Waverly Hill today. It could accommodate at least 400 patients, and it was considered one of the most modern and well-equipped facilities at the time. However, it closed in 1961 when the antibiotic that successfully treated and cured the White Plague was found. It was closed down and quarantined, then renovated. That was a bit of important context, but this is when the real story begins. It's important to remember that treatments for tuberculosis were sometimes as bad as the disease itself. Sometimes, the experiments that were conducted in search of a cure were horrifying. For example, patients' lungs were exposed to ultraviolet light to try to stop the spread of bacteria. Since fresh air was thought to be, um, well, a possible cure, patients were often placed in front of huge windows no matter what the season. All photographs show patients lounging the chairs, taking fresh air while literally covered in snow. Other treatments were even more barbaric and much bloodier. Balloons would be surgically implanted in the lungs and then filled with air to expand them. There was an operation where muscles and ribs were removed from a patient's chest to allow the lungs to expand further and let in more oxygen. The patients who survived both the disease and the treatments left Waverly Hills through the front door, while many others left through what came to be known as the body chute, an enclosed tunnel for the dead from the hospital to the railroad tracks at the bottom of the hill. The bodies were lowered in secret to the waiting trains, which was done so that the patients could not see how many were leaving the hospital as corpses. You know, for their mental health. With the death certificates that were filed, it's been estimated that approximately 6,000 people died there. By 1943, new medicines had largely eradicated tuberculosis in the United States, but a new outbreak did occur after World War II, and many others uh, returning from the war were housed at Waverly Hills. Some of the soldiers had cases that were so advanced that they did not last more than a week after their arrival to the hospital. In 1962, when Waverly Hills was reopened as a geriatric facility, there were many rumors and stories told about patient mistreatment and unusual experiments during the two years that it was used as an elderly home. Some of them have unfortunately turned out to be true. Electroshock therapy, for example, considered to be highly effective in those years, 
was widely used for a variety of treatments. Budget cuts in 1960s and 1970s also led to horrible conditions and patient mistreatment, which is why the state closed the facility for good. So yeah, no wonder why it's haunted, after all of the death and all of the agony, and it's not really that shocking to learn that Waverly Hills is considered to be one of the most haunted places in the United States. Like I said, a lot of suffering happens and a bunch of scary stuff happens now. The building and land were auctioned off and charged hands many times over the course of the next two decades. Uh, it was purchased to turn it into a minimum security prison, then protested until the plans changed to make it a set of apartments, both plans abandoned. In 1996, Waverly Hills was bought by Robert Albert Haskey, who ran Christ the Redeemer Foundation Incorporated to construct the world's largest and tallest statue of Jesus, along with an art of worship center, which was going to be situated on the roof of the hospital at the cost of about $4 million. Then he would turn the sanatorium into a chapel theater and gift shop for another $8 million. It was really no surprise when donations to the project fell far too short, with the project being abandoned by 1997. So even with its great service to the Louisville community, it faced the threat of being turned down. Over the next few decades, and by 2001, Waverly Hills would fall into darker times, vandalized, damaged, and nearly condemned. Its property owners had no desire to maintain the luster of the building and did little to stop the people from slowly destroying it. Waverly Hills had become the local haunted house, and it became a magnet for the homeless looking for shelter and teenagers who broke in looking for ghosts. The, the hospital soon gained a reputation for being haunted, as visitors encountered a variety of ghosts that witnessed slamming doors lights in the windows, as if power was still running through the building, strange sounds and eerie footsteps in empty rooms. Stories began to circulate of resident ghosts, like a little girl who is seen running up and down the solarium, a woman with bleeding wrists who is seen in her crying for help, or Timmy, one of the most famous apparitions at Waverly, who appears to be a little boy of ages around six and seven. He is frequently spotted around, running from room to room, playing with a leather ball. Supposedly, if you roll a rubber ball down the hole of the third floor, Timmy will roll it back to you. A lot of people have seen him, although some have only seen the ball moving several feet, seemingly by itself. There's an insane amount of stories. For example, the most famous room in Louisville, connected to the fifth floor of the building, you can find room 502. According to the stories, a nurse was found dead in room 502 in 1928. She had committed suicide by hanging herself from the light fixture. She was 29 years old, unmarried and pregnant. It's believed that she was impregnated by a doctor at the hospital and was later rejected by him. Her depression over the situation led her to take her own life and it is unknown how long had she been hanging before her body was discovered. And this would not be the only tragedy to occur with a connection to room 502. 
1932, another nurse who worked in the same room jumped from the roof patio and plunged several stories to her death. No one seems to know why she would have done this, but many have speculated that she may have been pushed over the edge. Nowadays, people reportedly feel nauseous upon entering the room, plus spotting apparitions of a nurse. You should also remember the tunnel where they secretly transported the bodies of the deceased, also known as the Death Tunnel. It's nearly 500 foot long and there's a lot going on in there. Shadow people, green orbs and physical contact from ghosts. This is a place where a lot of EVPs have been recorded and people re report hearing voices and footsteps there. Around the dead bodies, some people have seen a hearse appearing in the back of the building, dropping off coffins. Back inside the sanatorium, most life-saving operations happened in the operating room, on the fourth floor, but also some of the most gruesome, inhumane operation procedures. Visitors sometimes experience slamming and jamming doors, sometimes getting locked in their despite there is no lock. In those cases, people will reportedly not be released until asking politely to be allowed to leave. There are stories of feeling physical contact or seeing shadow people in there. Other legends are told of a man in a white coat who is usually seen walking in the kitchen. A number of people have reported footsteps in the room, a door swinging shut and the smell of fresh baked bread in the air. But the most infamous legend of the Waverly Hill Sanatorium is the Creeper. The Creeper is a dark entity rarely seen at Waverly Hills, but there is no good news if you do see it. It carries an aura of doom. The Creeper of Waverly Hills is a dark entity that crawls along the floor, up the walls, and on the ceiling. Spotting the Creeper is the most frightening encounter a person could have at the sanatorium. Little is known about it, except it hates visitors and it moves on all five floors, although usually spotted on the fourth floor. It runs and crawls in the dark, switching from the floor, then up the wall and continues to approach upside down from the ceiling. It's possible that the creeper is a human spirit, but its actions and the sense it gives visitors suggests otherwise, which is why many believe that the creeper is an inhuman entity, meaning that he's a malevolent thing with origins not from this earth. Most spirits behave at least reasonably similar to the way that they would react in real life. But the creeper seems to differ. While it, human spirits are pretty much ghosts, uh, and human spirits are entities that have never walked the earth in human form. A more specific and clearer but creepier way to put it, demonic creatures. Some others believe that the creeper is a shadow person, which some believe to be dark manifestations of the human spirit, and some others believe that there are ominous and dreadful, which is a topic for a later episode. But even for shadow people, the creeper is much darker. It is often referred to as the big bath among shadow figures. While most shadow figures appear in the shape of a person, the creeper is more animal-like in its approach. But it's still all black, though some report it having a white mask without a face. As to what it really is, no one knows. We just know it is inherently bad and it doesn't seem human. It crawls on walls and in the ceiling and it's the most disturbing entity to encounter. 
which is why it's known simply as just the Creeper. Well, in case you want to visit, the Waverly Hills Sanatorium allows curious overnight guests and provides ghost tours, along with organizing a haunted house every Halloween. Now, three encounters from Reddit users. Um, they're none related, by the way, but they are very creepy. The first one is from Mass Lowercase Original and is called Broken Mirror. Okay, so I'm not sure if this classifies as a creepy encounter, but this is a real incident that happened when I was around 8 or 9 years old. I used to live in a village and at the time if an old person died and it didn't have any family, then the rest of the neighbors can go and buy some of the person's stuff and raise money for the funeral. My grandmother went there and brought home that lady's drawer with a mirror attached to it. We put it in my old room and we kept it locked so no one went there in case she was coming back home. Around three days after we bought that drawer with the mirror, my grandmother wakes me up and shouts at me why did I destroy the room and broke the mirror. Obviously, I was clueless about it and I went to see what happened. When I opened the door, I saw the broken mirror all over the room. And all of the furniture and stuff inside were thrown all over. I was shocked because I didn't do it and also my room is always locked. But my grandma didn't believe it wasn't me and I got punished for it. I'm 23 years old now and I still don't know what happened that day. Especially that it was only me and grandma in the house. But till this day I can't go back in that house and that room. A lot of things happened there that I don't have any explanation for the end. The next story comes from One Hit Combo 24. Something weird happened at my house. When I was 10, I saw something move past my head. This isn't a cry for help, it's just a story that should be explained. So, when I was 10, I lived in a small house in Virginia. It was around 10 p.m. and I was laying in my bed. Now, I have to explain the layout of my house. Basically, my bed was facing the wall of my doorway to exit my room. The doorway was on the right side of my bed around 20 feet away from me. When you go directly outside of my room, you can look to your left and see the bedroom of my parents' bedroom and look to the right and see a hallway going down to a bathroom, a spare room and then the staircase. Anyway, my dad works at night, so it was just me, my mom, and my cats. My mom was watching TV and I was laying in my bed trying to go to sleep with the lights off. My cat Justin came up to bed and decided to lay down to my left. I was petting Justin when, all of a sudden, from the corner of my eye, I saw something go down the hallway. It looked like an old lady with a skull as a face, gray hair, a gray gown, no body, no feet or legs, gliding to my parents' room, and I saw it. Now, it could be just me, but not even second after this, I see Justin look up, looking terrified. He then went off my bed and went over to the hallway and just sat at my parents' doorway. I was horrified. Let's state some details to my story. My one cat named Norm 
would always sit at the garage door, look up and meow. Now there's the strange part. Remember when I said the figure came from the hallway going into my parents' room, where the garage door sits downstairs, directly above it is the end of the hallway, so where the old lady came from. Maybe the old lady always sits at the end of that hallway, and maybe my cat Norm was meowing at it. Now here's the final thing I have to say. A couple years after the incident, we moved out and I told my mother, after years of holding it in, since my mom gets scared easily, and I didn't want to scare her. So after I told her, she said something very disturbing. My parents' room layout is kind of like mine, where you can see the doorway with the corner of her eye. She told me that sometimes, every couple of nights, she would see at the corner of her eye something just flashing in the hallway. The end. And that was a spooky one, but the next story gets even scarier. It is from TKTK2001. Something is in our apartment. About five to six months ago, my partner and I were struggling to find an apartment with a landlord that would rent to us. With the arrival of our daughter approaching quickly, we were becoming quite desperate in finding a place to move into. Eventually, we found a relatively inexpensive two-door apartment for rent, and the landlord happily rented it for us. About a week before we'd moved all of our belongings into the apartment and unpacked, my daughter had been born. We began filling the walls with artwork and placing decor amongst the various countertops and shelves. My partner was very enthusiastic about arranging and decorating everything to make it feel like a home. Around a month into living in this apartment, I grew to feel a little uneasy around nightfall. I brushed it off as me being a new father, thinking it's simply me being protective over my daughter and my partner. At about three and a half months of living in the apartment, aside from the occasional uneasiness during the night, everything felt okay and safe. One night, I'd been laying on my couch at about 2 a.m., the way the unit is built allows me to see straight down to the kitchen hallway to where the bathroom and main bedroom doorways are when I was laying on the couch. As I was laying there, I began to see a swift, dark apparition go from the bedroom doorway to the cabinets in the hallway. It began to look as if something kept running back and forth from where my partner and child were sleeping to, to the unit beside us. This sight made me feel a little concerned, so I went into the bedroom with my sleeping family and went to bed. The next week, my partner and I were sitting in the couch together in the afternoon. My partner was breastfeeding our daughter, often looking at the TV while I played video games, or glancing down at her phone. She'd been positioned in the same way I was when I had seen the shadows a week prior and I was facing a perpendicular to her towards the television. Babe, she said, with a surprised look on her face, I just saw the tip of a white dress go into the bathroom. These words made the hair of my neck stand up, and I began to feel fearful this time. She'd seen the frightened look on my face, and I turned to ask her if she was sure. Yeah, don't be afraid though, if it was here to hurt us, it would, I would probably feel scared too. My partner and I are both First Nations. 
because of the cultural teachings and beliefs we've both grown up on, we're both very aware of the existence of the spirits and ghosts, and how to best deal with them. My partner definitely has more paranormal or spiritual experience than me, though. We usually smudge, which is simply the burning of sage, and we've used it every time we've experienced any of these phenomena as we believe it to be spiritual medicine that provides protection and cleansing against my negative energy or entities. Around our fourth month of living in my apartment, my partner and I began experiencing objects being moved outside of our view and hearing unexplainable sounds. The first time this happened was when we heard the scuffing of shoes and a high heel being dropped around the corner by the front door. This happened late at night, again, probably around midnight, and immediately I thought someone had entered our apartment, so I opened my pocket knife and whipped around the corner quickly. There was nothing there but the high heel in the middle of the doorway, which had originally been placed on the shoe rack neatly with all of the others. My partner and I smudged, and I went to bed once again, as we weren't in interested in experiencing any further events as to as that evening. We began to feel watched nightly and felt a presence around us often. My partner and I reached out to our family members asking what we should do, and they suggested feasting whichever entity is occupying our home. In our culture, feasting spirits is part of our responsibilities, and when they make their presence known like this, it usually means it's time to feast them again. I prepared some food. My partner and I prayed for it, we placed it in a small wooden dish, and then left it out in the apartment. From the beginning of the fourth month of the middle of it, we began experiencing paranormal events almost daily. A week ago, my partner had heard a rocking chair in the living room knocking against the wall. And two days ago, she'd heard the cardboard from my daughter's new crib rustling in a way that didn't sound like it could have done it by itself. Although we were both long overdue to feast, doing so didn't alleviate the problems and the events that we had been experiencing in our apartment. The feelings of uneasiness during nighttime grew into a moderate anxiety for me. On a few occasions, my daughter, who is four and a half months old, would suddenly wake up screaming bloody murder. Sometimes we'd leave her to play with a toy in her swing while we do the dishes down the hall, and on a few occasions she'd begin screaming like the few times she did waking up. It is also within our beliefs that because infants are new to the physical world, their perceptions are still closely intertwined with the spiritual world, so we grew concerned with the idea that she might be seeing this entity or entities that are occupying this apartment. Last night at around 3 a.m., we've all been sleeping in the bedroom at the end of the hall. In the next room over, my laptop began playing a YouTube video on full volume. It was loud enough to wake up both, and I knew that it, I had been watching YouTube videos prior to closing the laptop and going to bed, but I've never recalled the time where my laptop or any laptop for that matter began playing any media while closed. It didn't even have the volume on full blast either. 
This is the most paranormal activity I've ever experienced in my entire life. And even for my partner, I can sense that it is becoming tiring and frightening for her. On one hand, we feel that because of the stresses and the isolation of this pandemic, maybe our negative emotions are um, energies that are attracting entities of ill intent. On the other, we feel that maybe other residents within the building are bringing these entities here. Regardless, any reasoning as to why this is happening is just a speculation. We will never truly know why. The end. Anyway, that would be pretty much for for today. Um, I don't have a movie on this episode. I just watched Bad Cemetery like three hours ago. Um, but it was not really good to be fair. Uh, very entertaining at the beginning, then wacky ending. Um, well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember, you can follow the Spooky Horror on Twitter and Instagram. Though, I admit, I'm still not great at updating it. But, well, we can try. Um, hope this was a great episode. Um, better than the last one. And I think it didn't have any noises this time. So it should be good. Goodbye. This was an insight into a mysterious land and the stories about those who have returned. That noise you heard while home alone, the shadows in the corner of your eye.